Thank you, Brother Tim. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, let me just ask a couple of questions as we start out tonight. How many of you kind of came in tonight almost expecting some more motion from Brother Tim and uh, Brother Joe be up here and making some motions and, you know, uh, in right, out right, upright, all that stuff. And uh, kind of missed that. And uh, there's a buzz back there, but almost felt like, man, well, we don't get to do motions tonight, so I guess it can't be as exciting in here or something. Uh, but uh, I appreciate all of the support and all of the encouragement for our uh, midweek family services that we had all summer long with all of our kids involved. Uh, it was exciting. And then today, just to give you a kind of an update, uh, we started school today, and it was an amazing, amazing day. Uh, at uh, Augusta Christian Academy and uh, right down the road. There was a buzz down there, I promise. And uh, some of you guys were there this morning and uh, dropping off kids. And uh, somebody asked me on the way in, said, how did the dismissal go? And they started dismissing kindergartners at 2.57, and 15 minutes later, all the kids were gone. They didn't all run off, okay? So uh, we didn't just say go, you know? Um, but they'd all been picked up within 15 minutes. It went so smooth. It was just perfect. Uh, so it'll prob- the bottom will probably fall out tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, it was great today, today. So uh, we're very, very thankful for all that the Lord did. Almost 90 enrolled and uh, still have to bring the K3 and K4 crowd into the mix in a couple weeks, which will be a whole nother layer of fun. Uh, but uh, all those kids are excited. And so some of the parents uh, were struggling this morning, dropping kids off. Uh, but it was great. All kinds of picture taken, and it was just an encouraging day. So thank you for praying and giving and supporting and going through the open house on Monday, uh, on Sunday. Some folks came back on Monday night and went through again. Uh, so it was great. And so thank you so much for uh, the support. Continue praying for the academy and uh, pray. I know they still have a couple of positions that they're trying to fill uh, in the kitchen and in the music department. So if you are interested or you know someone who may be interested, uh, you probably need to uh, let me or uh, Miss Vanessa know as soon as possible uh, so that Brother John and I or Brother Tim and I don't have to do music every week. That would be greatly appreciated, okay? Uh, so uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel 17. Uh, picking back up, picking right back up uh, in our series, A Tale of Three Rulers, just as a way of recap. Uh, remember, we are at verse number 40. Uh, David has already met with Saul. Uh, Saul has already told him, David, you can't do it. You're not capable. Uh, You're not able. Uh, You're not strong enough, brave enough, wise enough, uh, uh, blessed enough, skilled enough. And there will always be people, just by way of recap, always be people who should step up that don't. Remember, we know Saul was the likely guy. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the closest uh, warrior that they had in their army, and he didn't step up. And it's a great reminder for us that there will always be people around us, whether it's in church or it's at work, that should step up, but don't. It's just a great reminder for us. Uh, Number two, the second thing, or just a reminder, recap, great faith always has a story that defies logic. Great faith always has a story that defies logic. Number three, someone will always try to weigh you down with what they think you need to succeed. 
You remember uh, David went before Saul and Saul said, well, take this sword and take this armor and take this helmet and you'll be able to go out and succeed, David, because I've seen all this stuff work in combat before. And David said, I, I can't take this stuff. I haven't even tried it out. I've never even put this on before. This is all new to me. It's going to weigh me down. And just a reminder that sometimes the things that others say have been successful for them may not be successful for you. Just because it worked for them, what a great book, a secular book, great read, uh, but you can apply it spiritually. What got you there, what got you here might not get you there. And when you think about what got me to this place, what got Saul to that place wasn't going to help David succeed. David had to go out on his own uh, with just God. And what a combination that was. And then the last thing before we jump in tonight is if you can't test something first, you probably shouldn't take it into battle with you. If you can't test something, if you can't try something first, you probably shouldn't depend on it in the battle. So as we get back to the Valley of Elah, we see Philistines on one side, get that mental picture. Philistines on one side of the valley, on that mountaintop, and on that hilltop rather. You see the Israelite army on the other side. Who's going to win? This showdown's going to take place. But what would David take with him? To be ready. How would the soldiers be convinced they weren't getting ready to be slaves? If you are got your Bible tonight, look at verse number 40. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write down number one, the ammunition. The ammunition. Look at verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. As David leaves all of the armor behind, all of Saul's weaponry, all of that behind, David heads toward the valley. We see that he only takes three things with him. He takes his staff, which is typically just a, a simple shepherd's staff. He took his sling and a, the, what the Bible calls a scrip. The, the most uh, notable thing that we could compare a script to, uh, I'm not ever going to wear. You'll never see me wear one ever, ever, ever. Y'all remember those old fanny packs? Remember those? All right. Uh, historians, the closest thing that they can describe to a script is a fanny pack. Uh, so uh, we're not going to wear one of those. And guys, if you, uh, if you wear one of those at any point in your life, you go ahead and turn in your man card right now, okay? Uh, just letting you know. Uh, but we see all these tools, staff, script, uh, fanny pack, uh, sling, all those things. But the weapons that he chose to take, uh, the staff, uh, interesting weapon, you know, that crooked handle to be able to steer sheep, to hook a sheep if they were going in the wrong direction. Historians tell us that that the end of the, that staff, the other end, not the crooked handle, but a shepherd would typically take that other end and file it down, make it sharp to where it could poke, not just a blunt poke, but could actually inflict great pain. It could be used as a weapon against a wolf or a fox or some other animal to come into the fold. And Goliath, remember, Goliath in verse number 43 looked at David and the weaponry choice and said, Am I a dog that thou camest to me with staves? Hey, why'd you bring me uh, this kid with a stick? You know, why'd you send that guy out? And the fact that David showed up with this instrument looked like he was not fit or qualified to face the giant. But let's think about it in a broader sense tonight, okay? David was simply doing 
what he had done all of his life with what was most familiar to him. Not anything special and not anything magnanimous, simply taking what he had already used and what had been successful in the past. And it shows a great struggle for us because sometimes we fall if we fall in, into the trap that believing that we have to do things we've never done is the only way that we'll accomplish great things for God. Hey, when your know, preacher gets up and preaches and says, man, you got to do this and it will be successful, that's not always a guarantee. Hey, I've got to do something big for God. I, I want to do something big, Pastor. How about doing the simple things that we know work? How about doing the simple things that have been tried and true? Remember, God said, walk with me. I just want you to walk with me. And God is not expecting us to do something huge. God wants us to do the simple things. Uh, we heard at Micaiah uh, about reading our Bible and how God would be more pleased and honored if we were consistent in our Bible reading than if we said, hey, I'm going to read 25 chapters every single day, Pastor. God would be more honored and pleased with us just simply being consistent in the small things than the big things. Remember Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now the question is, could the disciples be fishers of men without following Jesus? Well, no, not possible. But following Jesus was the simplest, hardest thing they would ever do in their life. Just keep up, guys. Simply follow Jesus me. And there were times in the disciples' lives that he used, God, Jesus, used what the disciples were familiar with to teach them a lesson, to teach them a valuable truth. Remember in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 27, remember they came and said, hey, should we pay our taxes? Now we're still asking that question today. Uh, should we pay our taxes? Uh, but remember, they, they asked Jesus, should we pay taxes? Should we render those things to Caesar? And what did he do? Taught on the principle, render therefore the things to Caesar that are Caesar's, things to God to God's. But then in verse 27, he said, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. Who's he talking about? The religious elite, the Pharisees. Lest we should offend them, go down to the sea and do what? Cast a hook. I like that verse right there. You know, cast a hook. Uh, and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. I don't know about you, but that... That miracle's never happened to me. Uh, but find a piece of money and take and give unto them for me and thee. Jesus used what they were familiar with, what they had done all their lives, and taught them a lesson with it. Now remember in John chapter 21, after the resurrection, when Jesus is on the shore and he calls out to him in the boat, Peter and John and other disciples all in the boat fishing, doing what they had always done in a place they'd always been, with no success. And what does Jesus do? He says, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. And they cast, now, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. He taught them simple principles by doing what they were familiar with doing. And you think about our lives today. It's not the big thing. You know, sometimes, you know, we think, well, man, pastor, reading my Bible just seems like it's not, I'm not learning anything. I'm not getting anywhere. Until you have that conversation with a coworker and a verse comes to mind that you didn't even remember. And you share it with them and think, man, where did that come from? Because you were consistent to do the simple things. How about when uh, you're 
praying doesn't seem like it's doing anything. It's not making any changes until you see God answer a prayer that only he can answer. Or how about witnessing seems hopeless until that one coworker comes up to you and says, Hey, you know, I, I'm not a religious person, but I know that you kind of are. Would you pray for me? Those simple things that we say, it's not making a difference. And God takes the simple things and does big things. God took a simple shepherd with a simple staff. And it might have been simple to everybody around him. But he knew in the past that it had already worked. And I think sometimes we believe that God is making, looking for somebody to make a huge splash. Now, I, I just say, I got to be that big rock, Pastor. I got to be that big rock that goes in the water. But even the little rocks make ripples. You know, God is not looking for a huge splash, He's looking for humble servants who will walk day by day with Him. That's all God's looking for. D.L. Moody said, A good many are kept out of the service of Christ. Deprived of the luxury of, of working for God because they are trying to do some great thing. Let us be willing to do little things. And let us remember that nothing is small in which God is the source. It was just a staff, just a simple rod. But remember, Moses had a rod in his hand and he threw it down at Pharaoh's feet and it became a serpent. And all the things that God did, and you look at uh, throughout the journey all the way to Canaan, to the border of Canaan, every time you turn around, what did Moses have in his hand? The rod. That simple instrument. Simple things. Not only the staff, but we see that the sling, he, he took a sling with him. The scrip, his fanny pack, and his sling that was in his hand. The sling, just a simple piece of leather, pouch in the middle. and uh, Think about the accuracy required. Uh, this is not the Barney Five sling, by the way, from Andy Griffith Show. Okay? Uh, this, is, this is a little bit more primitive than that. Uh, but uh, we see the simple sling would be worthless for you and I. We'd be figuring out, you know, how, where in the world do I put the rock? But Judges chapter 20 and verse 16 tells us about Benjamites who 700 men left-handed... And the Bible says that everyone could sling stones at an hair breadth. You know what that means? You could hold up a hair and these guys could hit it with a rock. I can't do that just throwing it like a baseball. But these guys were that skilled, gifted warriors with a simple weapon. But even with all that, with the staff, with the sling, it was helpless without the ammo. You know, we don't think a lot about rocks until you get hit with one from the lawnmower. Or you sling one on your leg and mow it in the grass or weed eating. It hurts. It hurts bad. A rock can be an effective weapon. History tells us that a rock thrown with enough force can penetrate a shield. Swords don't do that. But a rock could do that. It's the simple things. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, where it says, God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised that God chose and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. David had no desire to glory in what the Lord was going to do in his life. He just wanted to go out and defend what God's honor was all about, trying to defend him. 
He didn't want the glory for himself. But how often are we guilty of that? We, we glory in our schooling, in our expertise, in our training. And man, my mentor taught me that. Or my, my, my friend taught me that. Or my parents uh, did that for me. Or our, our past success. When the only thing we have to boast in and what, is what he's done for us. Remember, James says every good and perfect thing comes from above. It tells us in Philippians 3.8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. All of those awesome privileges that Paul had, he said they're worthless compared to Christ. Compared to what I get in him, worthless. 2 Corinthians 12.9 and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul said, I'd rather have faith with God's power than a life of ease. A great question for all of us is this. Would you rather have an easy life that doesn't require faith or one where you experience God's presence and power? Would you rather have an easy life that doesn't require faith? Or one where you experience God's presence and power? David goes out in the battle, not with a bazooka, you know, you know get, get him way over there so he doesn't get close. But he goes out with a strong belief that God would deliver. We think, man, I would love to have that kind of fearlessness you think David was afraid? You think David was, I mean, really, you think David was afraid? You think David ever had a time where he was afraid? Because he wrote about that. Psalm 56, verse 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. There's nothing wrong with being afraid, but that fear should drive us to someone not away from someone. That fear should drive us to our Heavenly Father. And that's exactly what happened with David. Adrian Rogers said, a faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. We, sometimes we grumble or murmur about what God is doing or the circumstances that we're living through right now and say, man, God, what in the world are you doing? He's trying to develop our faith because a faith that hasn't been tested can never be trusted. We see the ammunition that's mentioned. Then number two, we see the angst that's mentioned. Look at verse 42. After David is coming and Goliath gets close enough to see, you know, think about the hilltop that they're on. He can just see a person coming. He can't tell how big that person is. As it gets closer, it says, and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, recognized that this is not a warrior, it's a kid. It's a teenager. It's a young adult. This young person, what's he do? He disdained him. He starts to mock him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. David wasn't the ugliest kid in town. He was a sharp-looking kid. But he was still a kid. What does Goliath do? Verse 43, And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Do you know that Goliath was guilty of the exact same thing that Samuel did? Just one chapter before. Remember when Samuel came and saw Eliab, David's brother, looking for a king? Oh, man, that's the guy. That's the one. He looks like a king. Thank you, Lord, for sending me right here. This is going to be easy. And one by one, God said, no, 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 no. Kind of like Gideon. You know, Gideon, you got too many guys. Uh, God, did did you count? Uh, God, it's already 10 to 1. I mean, what what do you want me to do? The odds aren't going to get better, Lord. But remember, the Lord said unto Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Goliath was looking at the outside and was not impressed. But David's strength wasn't on the outside. It was on the inside. The world misjudges God's people. Because our strength is not found on the outside. It's found on the inside. Our strength, because greater is he that is what, church? In you than he that's in the world. Hey, our strength isn't out here. Our strength is in here. Our strength is found within. And it's not our strength. It's his strength. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It's not our strength we're boasting in. It's all him. What was said about David later. Remember? Hey, look not on the outside. Hey, don't look on the outer appearance. For God looks on the heart. What was said about David later in Acts chapter 13 verse 22? What was David? I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own what? Heart. Which shall fulfill all my will. David was in this position because of the position of David's heart. Have you ever thought, man, I wish I had a story like that. I wish I had a Goliath story in my life. you ever wondered that Maybe we don't have a Goliath story to tell. It's because our heart's not where it needs to be. The position of our heart. Hebrews eleven six, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Yeah, I was looking at Hebrews chapter 11 this week. You know what's the common denominator of all these people? What's the common denominator in Hebrews chapter 11? They all had what? Faith. You know what's the second common denominator of most of the people in Hebrews chapter 11? Failure. Think about it. Hebrews 11. The first two mentioned. Abel. Can't really say much about Abel. Enoch. Enoch walked with God. Can't really say much about Enoch. But everybody from that point on. Failure, 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 failure. Great faith. Failure, failure, failure. Oh, Pastor, what what kind of failure? Noah was a drunk. Abraham didn't obey completely when he was told to leave his family behind. And that caused all kinds of problems with Lot. Sarah laughed and doubted God. 
Isaac was a liar. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was a doubter. Barak was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Jephthah spoke before he thought about what he was saying. David, an adulterer and murderer. Samuel, horrible parent. Think about them and then compare that to you. Pastor, God could never use me. God could never use me because I have failed. But the thing that's interesting is when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, what's on display is not their failure. It's their faith. Could it be that God highlights our faith more than our failure? Well, pastor, if if that's the case, then why does he even mention it? Because it shows us that they got problems just like we do. Hey, don't let your failure, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Compared to that list, we're all looking really good. Don't let your failure override the faith that you have in him. Don't let your failure be what defines you. Let your faith be what defines you. See, Goliath expected a warrior and didn't see one, but he got one. You know how we know that? Because a few verses later, Goliath doesn't have a head. I love the, the rhyme in the Bible. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. That was a smart decision. But think about, what was Goliath's response? Hey, I'm going to fix him and I'm going to cut him down with words. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Think about that. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. I don't know what I should say. Good. You probably shouldn't say anything. What does it say about the wicked? But the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. How often do we not get our way and we use our words to get even? Paul Tripp said, winning the war of words involves choosing our words carefully. It's not just about the words we say, but also about the words we choose not to say. Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. By speaking his heart, Goliath showed exactly what this was. It was a spiritual battle. I'm going to curse you by my gods. So what was it? It was a showdown between the false god Dagon, the god of the Philistines, and the one true god. And everybody was getting ready to see who the real God was. Not only the ammunition, but number two, we saw the angst. And then lastly tonight, we see the antithesis. Verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. You know, you look at David standing out there in the valley. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have a spear. And he didn't have a shield. But he had something that Goliath didn't have. 
I don't have those things. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Goliath, you just put our God on notice. And he's getting ready to kill you. You just set the stage, Goliath, with what you just said. You set it up. And Goliath's hope was in all that armor and his experience. And David's hope was in the Lord. I love that song we sing from time to time. Hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. You think about David showed that he wasn't afraid of the weapons. He wasn't cowering because of the height of the giant. Because he was totally reliant on the name of the Lord. Now what does the Bible tell us about the name of the Lord? Peter said in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Just one chapter later, Acts 5, 27 and 28, when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command that you should not teach in this name? The name of Jesus cuts right to the heart. You know how we know that? Because you can talk about God at work all you want to. But the minute you mention the name Jesus, it's all different. Because God can be just about anything. And in our culture, it's about everything. But Jesus has a name that's different. Remember when Paul said in Romans 1, 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The word for power there is the Greek word dunamis. It's our English word dynamite. Dynamite! You know, <laughs> uh, but it's our word for dynamite. It's powerful. The word of God is quick and powerful. Dunamis. His name is powerful. And David was invoking his name against the giant. Remember in verse 33? And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. I thought about this, wrote it down. Saul focused on the reputation of the giant. But David focused on the reputation of his God. See, Saul had heard about Goliath. Hey man, he's been a warrior all of his life. He's going to eat you alive. But David was out there and thought about, you know, the God who delivered our people from Egypt and led them through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. and The God who gave judges to lead them. and The God who gave them a king and then protected them from the king. The God who promised them deliverance from Saul's pride and selfishness. The God who was facing off against Goliath. That same God. That's our God, by the way. It's the same one. He's the same God who gave us life when we were conceived. He's the same God who allowed us to all to be born. The same God who allowed us to be raised. The one who gave us health. The one who gave us that job, that family, that opportunity. The one who offered us salvation. And the one who's living out his plan over our circumstances every single day. You know, 
And they're going to play out according to his design. That's our God. And when David looked at Goliath and said, Hey, bucko, you just ticked off my God. And everybody, next verse, everybody is getting ready to know that there's a God in Israel. Hey, everybody had already found out in Philistia, in the temple of Dagon, that Israel had a God. Remember that ark? When they set it up right in front of Dagon as a showpiece and come back the next morning jogging in to check out the ark and Dagon was face first in front of the ark. What did the ark represent? The presence of God. The ark represented God. It was a picture of him. And that false God had no choice but to lay face down in front of all men. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. You ever thought about which direction Mike Goliath fell? Oh, man. (laughs) If you got hit with a rock or a baseball bat in your head, wouldn't you naturally assume that you'd fall backwards? Seems logical. But what direction did Goliath fall? He fell forward. Which direction, y'all hang on, did Dagon fall? Face forward. Let's go back to our last verse. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. There's a lot of defilement in our world today. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he's Lord. They don't bow backwards. They bow forwards. And on the battlefield that day, Goliath is getting ready to live out total submission to the God of the universe. That God who you have defied, Goliath. You're getting ready to bow to him. And little did everybody know that the battle of the ages is on display right here. Between every other force of evil and the one true God. And hey church, can I just remind you what we already know? He always wins. He always wins. Well, it might look different for you than you might plan out yourself. But he always wins. Because that's who he is and that's what he does. So no matter what your circumstance tonight, he always wins because that's who he is and that's what he does. Father, thank you so much for your word and the promises that you've given to us. Or thank you for showing us in your word that no matter what our situation is that we face, everything has to bow before you. Everything, all of creation 
bows before you. Lord, everything, even humanity. Lord, we can either bow before we stand before you or we will bow in that day. Lord, I ask that you please search our hearts. And Lord, if there is something that we have not surrendered to you, whether that's our life, our soul, Lord, or maybe just a circumstance or situation in our lives, Lord, help us to surrender that tonight. Lord, thank you for the promises of your word. Help us to apply them to our lives. And help us to trust you because you are trustable. In Jesus' name, amen. We're getting ready to go to our prayer time.